that that feeling of disgust for this particular sin is truly just a fraction of what God feels when he looks at their own sin. We're telling me that somehow this is the worst sin. That gays and lesbians deserved a hotter place in hell. That Jesus had to hang on the cross a little bit longer for gays and lesbians. Homosexual behavior is a sin, not homosexual feelings. I had thought that if I were to become a Christian, that I would have to become a heterosexual. God never says, be heterosexual, for I am heterosexual. Therefore, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That is not the goal. But the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. I have sinned, dear Father. Father, I have sinned. Try and help me, Father. Won't you let me in? All right, welcome back to part two of Homosexuality Comes to the SBC. Yeah. We are focusing part two on Christopher Yuan. I'm going to walk through his clips. I'm going to read some of the things that he said out on Twitter and share with you some of his views. And then we're going to ask the question, does Christopher Yuan belong in the church does his views, do his views belong in the church? Does he belong in the church given that he holds these views and given that he is teaching other people to embrace these views? And here's another question for you. What should you do to pastors who are platforming men like Christopher Yuan? What are they doing to the body of Christ? What should be our attitude toward them? Should it be one of just mutual respect and let's just agree to disagree and love one another in Christ? Or should it be something else? Should it be a little bit more serious than that? My, my perspective on this is that part of the reason the church is in the condition it's in, part of the reason that the visible church is in the condition, the shape that it's in, is because we have pastors who are doing things like this and getting away with it. I'm not saying these men are not brothers in Christ. What I am saying is that when a pastor, uh, when a pastor violates his duty, abandons his duty, ignores his duty as a pastor to protect and equip the flock, he should be dealt with. And in, in some cases, especially cases like this, he should be removed. Some men are not called to be pastors. If you can't stand up and love the truth and love people with the truth by stating the truth firmly, directly, clearly, the way God states his own truth, well, then you shouldn't be a pastor. You should find something else to do, some other way to make a living because pastors have to do that. They have the most difficult job in the world. They have to stand up and tell people very, very, very often things they do not want to hear because human beings 
have a sin issue. We are constantly having to ask God to pour His grace on us so that we hate what God hates and we love what God loves. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about a little bit more about Christopher Yuan and how homosexuality has come to the SBC. All right. Muddying the waters. I think this is a strategy. Seems to be a common strategy from folks in the gay Christian movement in the homosexual Christianity movement, if you will. You and the rest of the homosexual gay Christian movement love to muddy the waters. They love to equivocate on words like desire, feelings, attraction, and now even identity. Earlier, I said that descriptors are important. They are necessary in order to have clear and concise communication among human beings. One of the things modern men do is tinker with descriptors, especially postmodern folks. They play with words in an attempt to muddy the waters and to complicate situations that really aren't complicated. The SBC is doing it as we speak in their attempt to try to figure out what a pastor is so that they can smuggle in female pastors. That's that is the goal, that's the objective, that's the agenda. And the SBC pastors and people are going to allow that to happen eventually. Because they, you, know, you have some people who really care and a whole bunch of people who just don't, including pastors. Or if they do care, they're just too politically oriented to do anything about it. Social justice advocates have done it with the word justice. The pagans have done this with things like gender. We can't define what a woman is. Now, homosexuals parading as Christians are following suit inside the churches. The first step is to introduce confusion and ambiguity. Liberal Protestants love to do this in their interpretation of Scripture. The first thing to go is perspicuity. Each interpretation becomes its own standalone interpretation, and the authority for that interpretation is the person doing the interpreting. The author must die so that the reader can live. And it is no longer the, the author's intended meaning that we are searching for. It becomes whatever the reader wants it to mean, all right? Objective truth is lost, and with it, objective morality. That is until <laughs> objective morality is done, until they need objective morality. They will pull objective morality out of the air when they need it. You see, it is perfectly moral for homosexuals to define words however they want, and everyone defends that. But let someone else come along and define a word in a way that contradicts this idea, and all of a sudden, objective morality exists after all. And some standard is appealed to, a standard that theoretically everybody should be following. 
until it becomes inconvenient for them to follow it and it gets replaced. So the idea of subjective morality uh, crumbles in on itself because even, even the idea of subjective morality requires the existence of objective morality, right? Because think of it this way. If everybody gets to set their own moral standards, they believe that everyone ought to be able to set their own moral standards. But that's not a subjective appeal to morality. It's objective. It should apply to everybody who wants to set their own morality. That's objective morality. It collapses in on itself. I hope that makes sense. The hypocrisy in this area is off the charts. And I want you to know that God sees the, the wicked practices of these wicked men. Now, the single greatest equivocation that we see in Yuan is his view that feelings or attractions or desires are not in and of themselves sin. Right? That's, that's the equivocation. Such behaviors cannot occur outside the human thought world, which requires an act of the will. This, Yuan conveniently ignores, as do the rest of those in the gay Christian movement. Think about that for a second. Can you have a feeling about your own biological sexual urge that is not accompanied with a thought? You cannot. Right? Where are you directing? Your thoughts are directing that urge towards something. Right? This is happening in the mind. It's not happening somewhere in biology. There's absolutely, positively no scientific evidence demonstrating that homosexual urges are distinct from the sexual urge itself. The sexual urge is a biological fact of nature where it gets directed takes place in the human mind, in the world of thought. Okay? Now, let's, let's discuss just some of the outrages and unfounded claims of Yuan. Marriage. Yuan takes the same approach that the Revoice movement employs on marriage. The church has apparently been guilty of turning marriage into an idol. Yuan writes this. He says, Defining marriage as between a husband and a wife appears unfair to the LGBT community, in part because a life of singleness is viewed to be crushingly lonely. And then he asks this question, have we in the church inadvertently playing into the lie, that lie, with our idolatry of marriage while being pejorative and silent toward singleness? This is an attitude that is exhibited by all of these homosexuals and lesbians who want to bring homosexuality into the church, into the Christian community. They take the same approach. You have turned marriage and the family into an idol. You scorn singleness. 
Christianity does not scorn singleness. The Christian community has never scorned singleness, and we have not turned marriage, Christianity has not turned marriage into an idol. There may be some people who have turned their family or marriage into an idol. I don't know of any myself. I've never met one that I know of. But to say that this is what the church has done is absurd. Where's the evidence? Where's the proof that something like this has happened? What should our view of marriage and the family be? Well, according to Scripture, this is God's design. These are God's institutions. They should be revered. We should have the greatest respect for marriage and the family because it's God's design. Is, is you on about to accuse God of turning marriage and family into an idol? Has God set up an idol in the church and demanded that we revere these institutions? No, this is a homosexual taking a swipe at heterosexual tradition, standard. A tradition and standard that was instituted by God himself. The fact that this doesn't bother pastors when a man starts talking like this is extremely disturbing. It should bother you. This should bother you. In his attempt to belittle the importance of family within the churches, Russell Moore got on board and said the following, Our suffocating grasp on our family, whether that's our idyllic view of our family in the now, our nostalgia for the family of long ago, our scars from family wounds, or our worries for our family's future. Right? These liberals and progressives, like Russell Moore, are on this bandwagon. They have, they drank the Kool-Aid. They have signed the statement. They are embracing the agenda and are up to their eyeballs in managing the project. Let's bring homosexuality into the churches. But we have to be smart about it. The gay Christian movement has continually taken positions on marriage, the family, and even singleness that Scripture does not take. And this position has one common goal in mind, folks. Normalize homosexuality. If you look at, at Christopher Yuan's entire ministry and ask the question, why does this man's ministry exist? What's he doing? What is it all about? What is it geared toward? What is the objective? He talks about one thing and only one thing, and he talks about it ad nauseum. Homosexuality. He defends these feelings and these desires. Of course he's going to say, you can't act on them. Why? Why? Because that would alienate everybody. You don't turn you don't turn the pot on the stove to boiling and then expect the frog to jump in. You put the frog in and then you slowly turn the pot up. That is the strategy that is at play right now. And the churches the churches are allowing it to happen. Now let's keep going.
singleness. The church has done a terrible job of valuing and accepting singleness, according to you. Singleness is not an, the alternative to being a homosexual, folks. It's not the alternative to having homosexual thoughts, which is what we're talking about here. Yuan wants to, to use words like feelings, desires, uh, temptations. He, he loves to use the word temptation, but it's not really a temptation. It's homosexual thoughts that are allowed to persist, that is, the idea that I want to have sex with a man, I am sexually turned on by a man, that thought is okay so long as you don't look at a man with lust or actually have sex with him. And it is my contention that the thought I am sexually attracted to men, to be okay with that is itself a sin. Now, singleness. Singleness is a different matter altogether. Singleness is not part of God's original design. In fact, singleness is the first thing that God said was not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And when God, when God created Eve... He didn't create, as some would say, Steve. He didn't create a man for Adam or other men. He created a companion suitable for Adam, which was Eve. Now, if you do not have the gift of singleness, you need a companion. And the companion needs to be suitable the only suitable companion for a man is a woman. The only suitable companion for a woman is a man if it is the case that that man or that woman does not possess the gift of singleness, which is a very specific and rare gift. That's how the Bible describes it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. Now concerning the things about what you wrote. It is good for a man not to touch a woman, but, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. This is sex, folks, okay? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this by way of concession, not of command. In other words, Paul is not commanding couples to stop 
having sex for a season so that they can devote themselves to prayer and then come back together again. Uh, it's not a command. He says, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself. Paul was single. He didn't have the cares of a wife. He could focus all of his time on serving the Lord by serving the church. And that is a good thing. However, he says, each man has his own gift from God. There you go. Singleness is described by Paul as a gift from God. One in this manner, another in that. It's a gift. But I say to the unmarried and to the widow that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And the, the burn there actually means to have the urge, that urge that is constantly gnawing at you. Paul is not advocating that you walk around with this continual burning so long as you don't act. The burning itself is seen as a liability, a big one. People who have the gift of singleness don't have that burning. Now, there are others who don't have that. Now, as you get older, widows, as you get older, that burning begins to dissipate. Your need for sex, the sexual urge, begins to drop. Right? So, you know, if, if that urge has reached a place where you really, truly, without any kind of significant struggle, are able to control yourself from, and that burning is just not there gnawing at you all the time, um, you can remain single. The only other people who have this in their lives, younger people, I mean, uh, really, are, are people who have the gift. They just don't have the sexual urge. But if you do have the sexual urge, which I don't know what the percentage is, 95, 96, 97, 98, it's, it's off the chart. It's up there. Uh, then Paul's advice is to get married. That's his advice. It isn't, it isn't to be single. The idea of having this urge that you have no control over, which is what you on and the rest of the homosexual Christian movement will tell you, you have no control over this, these feelings, which is an urge, this urge, this desire, these thoughts. Uh, Paul says get married, men to a woman, women to a man. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 19, also calls this out as a gift when he says, the disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man and the wife is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. And this is because of the loose nature of remarriage after divorce in that culture. You could, for any reason, and Jesus basically says, he put the kibosh on that and said, no, you cannot remarry unless you have biblical grounds for divorce, which is adultery. 
If your spouse did not, you can't just willy-nilly divorce someone because your marriage is inconvenient, it's unfulfilling, whatever the case might be, um, and then just go marry someone else. Because the idea is that if you get divorced in that culture, you're getting married again. You will have a wife or you will have a, a husband. The ideal of singleness at, is rare again, rare and when Jesus says not all men can accept this statement, uh, but only those to whom it has been given, he's clearly calling singleness a special gift from God. Now, what about pedophilia? Here's what Ewan says. Some people actually struggle with pedophile temptations, but don't act, but don't act on them. To be held accountable by a few trusted people is important. That's right, folks. End quote. That's right, folks. Now we have pedophiles being welcomed into our churches to worship and serve around our children. Seriously? Are you serious? The same logic used to allow them into the churches will be the same logic they use to serve and work with and among our kids. They're Christians. They should be allowed to serve even around kids. Based on the number of parents taking their kids to pride events and drag queen story hours, the resistance will quickly wane and our churches will be filled with homosexuals, pedophiles, and those who promote bestiality. It's okay for you to want to have sex with your dog as long as you don't act on it. And as I said earlier, there's even a website devoted to Christian pedophiles, as if such a thing exists. The holiness of God has been absolutely, completely eradicated in our churches. There is no fear of God in churches that tolerate things like this. And I'll say it again. If you are in a church that's welcoming men like Christopher Yuan in, by definition, you are in a church that in the, in the modern sense of the notion affirms homosexuals and pedophiles. Now, they're going to want to dance. They're going to want to dance because they don't want that said about them. Too bad. It's unavoidably the truth. A homosexual is someone who is attracted, sexually attracted to someone of the same sex. Christopher Ewan believes that you can be someone attracted to the same sex, and it's not a sin so long as you don't act on it. Therefore, you can be a homosexual and be a Christian. And if your church affirms Ewan's message, then it affirms homosexuals. Here's another thing about identity that Ewan said. I do not believe that gender dysphoria is sinful behavior, but a result of the fall. Christopher Yuan does not believe that gender dysphoria, a man who claims he's a woman and a woman who claims she's a man, is sinful behavior. It's just the result of the fall. They're victims. This is what the man believes. Yuan has also brought, brought into the modern notion that gender is subjective. On another tweet, he says, the problem with your logic is that race is objective. I'm Chinese. That's objective. And then he says, quote, gender is not objective, 
but subjective, a self-perception. Hmm. Genesis 1.27 says this, God created man in his image, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Based on the, based on the divine revelation, you tell me, is gender something objectively created and specially designed by God for God, or is it merely a social construct, a subjective self-perception as fluid as one's emotions? You tell me. Christopher Ewan says so. You tell me, is God right or is Christopher Yuan right? Now let's talk about temptation versus feeling versus desire. Temptation begins in the mind, in the world of thoughts. Human desires, feelings, attractions are all driven by how we think about ourselves, God, the world, sin, righteousness, etc. Every man is tempted when he is carried away in his thinking and enticed by the lust that those thoughts provoke. Here, right here, is where you resist temptation. If you do not stop the temptation right here at the point of enticement, you will inevitably end up sinning. You see, if lust conceives, that brings forth sin. The conception of lust produces sin. Lust is a thought. Yuan and the gay Christian movement believe that it's okay to have these homosexual feelings and attractions, but you need to understand that feelings and attractions are synonyms for thoughts. They, at a minimum, let's, let's say, say it this way, at a minimum, they are always accompanied by thoughts. They are never absent the cognitive faculties. But if you're loving God with your whole mind, you will not allow such attractions, thoughts, to take place. If you love God, you will reject the thought that you are sexually attracted to a man. You will hate that thought. You will deny that thought. You will reject that thought. You won't treat that thought as if you are its victim because you're not. To engage in this kind of thinking requires an act of the will. We'll come back to that. When you are saved, you will deliberately reject these kinds of thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing, thought, raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what you do when you're saved. You don't allow the thought of a man... As a man, you don't allow your thinking as a man to create sexual attraction to other men. You don't think like that any longer. You reject those thoughts. And instead, you recognize that I am created in the image of God and my sexual urge indicating I do not have, I do not have the gift of celibacy. My sexual urge must therefore be directed toward the female. And since I don't have the gift of celibacy, 
I should find a wife. It is impossible to feel attracted to the same sex when you're, when you're thinking about same-sex attraction is the same as God's thinking about same-sex attraction. Right? Now, here in this text, Paul is telling us that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You don't just let your thoughts hang out there. If you are a true Christian, the very thought of same-sex attraction is considered evil by you. It's ungodly. A true Christian, someone whose faith is a gift from God, will recognize and affirm that sexual urge is to be heterosexual, directed from a man to a woman, a woman to a man, and that anything outside the boundaries of God's natural design and order is evil and wicked. They won't run around the country trying to find a way to justify people who want to hang on to those thoughts. And yet that's what Christopher Yuan is doing. Look, ultimately sin begins with a thought, not a desire. We, Yuan is calling these things feelings. He's calling them desires. Other people are calling them feelings, desires, even temptations. They're not temptations. And there's no such thing as a feeling or a desire without a thought. And with every thought comes a response of the will. The will is involved in same-sex attraction. These people claim that they are passive in these thoughts. You're not passive in your thinking. You are directing your sexual thoughts toward an area that is unnatural and forbidden, and you're calling it a temptation when it is not. And many evangelicals who are not good critical thinkers like Frank Turek and others are buying it hook, line, and sinker. So step one, you've got the thought. Step two, the will makes a decision. Step three, in comes those desires, those lusts, that appetite, what you one calls feelings. It's a sexual appetite. And it is driven by thoughts and an act of the will. And you have sin. You have sin. The thought, they say, is sexual feelings, desires, attractions. But they don't call it a thought because they know it's easier to sell people on feelings in an emotive in an emotive culture, in an emotive society, in an emotive church, it's easier to sell people on feelings. It's not their fault. This is just how they feel. As if your emotions or your feelings are completely and totally detached from your cognitive faculties, that there's absolutely no relationship whatsoever. Psychologists know this is not true. We should know it's not true if you just 
sit down and think about it for a minute. Just think. You got same-sex attraction or attraction to my neighbor's wife, sexual attraction to my neighbor's wife, sexual, let's call it, feelings toward my neighbor's wife, evil. You reject the thought and choose to think God's thoughts after him. All right. You reject it. You acknowledge the thought as a wicked thought that you refuse to engage in. That's temptation without sin. On the other hand, you've got the thought. The will allows the thought to persist, to remain. Explores the thought even. Enjoys the thought. Neglects to think in obedience to the scripture. Desires take root. Sin is produced. Sin produces death. The thought about your neighbor's wife is synonymous with the thought about sexual relations Sex to sex, man to man, woman to woman. Okay. Now, the text that I'm referencing here is James chapter 1. Everybody is familiar with that text who, who's read Scripture for any amount of time at all. The point James is making is that all sin is located in the man and is not the result of God himself being the immediate tempter. God isn't the one himself who is actually trying to get you to sin. Sin inevitably, inevitably requires human thought that runs contrary to and in opposition to God's law. So you see, you on and gay Christians use words like desire, attraction, feelings, because we live in, again, an emotive society. But the debate belongs right here in the world of thoughts, we go soft on emotions, especially feelings and attractions. But when the debate is framed in terms of thought and thinking, it's a different picture entirely. You see, it's, it's what's being admitted to. What is being admitted to? And we don't, we don't go there. We don't want to take it there. We want to try and find a way for some reason to, to tolerate this and allow it. But what, is, what people are saying is, I am sexually interested in someone of the same sex. Or, as Yuan justifies, I'm sexually interested in children. Which, which means that if, if, there's, if this is morally neutral, if these sexual thoughts are morally neutral, then you can just as well say, I'm sexually interested in my dog. And these people are being admitted into our churches. And we have, I'm not going to say the name, but we have here in Charlotte these guys without realizing it, probably the, the, uh, one of the largest Southern Baptist churches right here in Charlotte just brought Christopher Yuan in and uh, without realizing it has become a gay-affirming church by the textbook definition of what it means to be gay. And what does it mean to be gay? To be sexually attracted to someone of the same sex. So we have the Southern Baptist Convention 
at this point with very large churches, some who are baptizing homosexuals who are actually having homos- having sex with one another, but it doesn't really matter. It's the same difference. These homosexuals say they don't have sex. They're, they say they're celibate, but uh, who knows if that's really true. And, and the one thing that we know that's probably definitely true is that the thought world and the fantasy world of those individuals is homosexual, top to bottom. And they're being welcomed in what you would otherwise think would be conservative Southern Baptist churches. Now, why Why is that happening? We can talk about that on another episode. But I think most of us know why this is happening. The debate belongs here in the world of thoughts, not in this abstract idea of muddying the waters between temptations and feelings and desires, which is the goal. There's a strategy at play here. Make homosexuality no different from other morally depraved behavior, which according to Romans 1, it's different. It is the result of other morally depraved behavior. It is the result of God cursing other morally depraved behavior so that now you have more depraved behavior, worse, more degraded. Homosexuality is no different from any other sin, according to them. God is just as disgusted with your pride as you are with homosexuality and maybe more. As J.D. Greer said, the Bible whispers about sexual sin, but screams about greed, for example, which is absolutely, positively not true. It's a lie. It's an outright lie. The Bible does not do that. Second, the strategy is to devalue the family. Claim that the church has turned the family and the marriage into an idol. Third, elevate singleness. Even when it is clear there is no gift of singleness present. Even though you burn with sexual desire and long for intimacy, remain single, celibate, and gay. And that's perfectly fine. You will not find that anywhere in the New Testament. Homosexuality existed in the New Testament. Homosexual desire existed in the New Testament. Why didn't Paul make this case? Why didn't Paul address this issue this way? He never did. The idea never crossed his mind. Homosexual sex, desires, thoughts, feelings... These things have always been behavior that has been unacceptable in the Christian church. Not tolerable, period. Number four, convince people that homosexual attraction is simply the temptation and not the sin of homosexuality. But sexual attraction is, in fact, not something that you're passive in. It involves thought. It involves the will, which is behavior. But these guys tell us it's okay to want as long as you don't touch. But what do you think they're doing when they engage in self-pleasure? Oh, you don't think they engage in self-pleasure? You're going to pretend, you're going to stick your head in the sand and you're not going to talk about this. You're not going to think about this. You're going to pretend that they're telling you the absolute perfect pristine truth. Well, I'm not. I'm going to go with reality. I'm going to go with what I know really happens out there in the real world. 
Even if that were the case, you're still permitting what we would call covetousness to run wild in the Christian church. The longing, the longing, the longing for something that is strictly forbidden. And that's what these guys are saying. I long, this Christopher Yuan is saying, I long to have sexual relations with a man. And he's being welcomed into the church. He's being platformed. And his deadly toxin and poison is being spread among the most conservative of churches. Southern Baptist churches, for sure. Which is why I go back to what I said about the SBC a couple of episodes ago, that the idea is a bad idea. Because you can't police stuff like this in a Southern Baptist convention. The SBC is producing men like Christopher Yuan. I'm not saying he's SBC, but they're producing men just like him. They're producing men who will bring him to their churches. They're graduating men from their seminaries that we paid for who will bring guys like Christopher Yuan into their churches. They're graduating guys like Steve Furtick. They're graduating guys who reject things like original sin who promote open theism. I'm sure process theology. Middle knowledge. And then fifth, they persuade the churches that there are lots of gay Christians who are able to resist the temptation to have sexual fantasies and that they will remain celibate when no one is watching. And that is absolutely not the case. I do not buy that for a minute because I'm not naive. I'm honest. We're going to be honest here. Period. We're going to hold to the historic, traditional position of the church on homosexuality, which includes everything that involves homosexuality, from same-sex sex to longings, desires, fantasies, thoughts, you name it. It's all evil in the eyes of of God. Now, let's move on to just some of the clips I said I was going to play from Christopher Yuan and just respond to them a little bit. We'll start with the first one here. That that feeling of disgust for this particular sin is truly just a fraction of what God feels when he looks at their own sin. Now, what is he doing here? First of all, the reason that heterosexual people, people who have normal sexual desires, normal sexual desires as designed by God, find homosexual anything disgusting is because it is disgusting to them. It is a perversion of the natural. It's like thinking about having sex with a dog or having sex with a child. It's repulsive. It's revolting. Okay, it's unnatural. That's why we feel the way we feel. So what Christopher Yuan is doing is he's trying to get you to stop feeling that. He doesn't want you to feel that. Homosexuals don't want you to feel that. They want you to believe that their sexual desires are no different from your own, from heterosexual desires. That's a strategy. And this is his strategy. 
And he's trying to convince you that God is just disgusted with any picket, any nebulous sin in your life that you, you might have, that God is just as disgusted with that as you are homosexuality. He's trying to say that God feels the same way about your white lie that you do about homosexuality, and there's absolutely no truth to that at all borne out in Scripture. Homosexuality, according to Scripture, is the curse of God because of other sins. It's worse. It's more degraded, according to Romans chapter 1. You can easily see the lesser degradation to the greater degradation in Paul's argument in Romans chapter 1, and it's clear. Yuan could not be more wrong. And I think he probably knows it because he's not an unintelligent man. He's not a stupid man. This is not a guy trying to exegete scripture so that you have proper biblical thinking about homosexuality. He's doing something else. He wants to change your emotions, your feelings when you think about homosexual acts, right? Because he wants homosexuality to be accepted as just any other sin. And it is not that according to Scripture. It's not just any other sin. It is morally more depraved than many of these other sins that Yuan does not want you to think about. It's just, again, would Yuan place this same, would he say the same thing about bestiality, sex with a dog? Would he say that? Because that's the, it's the same category. It's a degraded or unnatural passion. We're telling me that somehow this is the worst sin. That gays and lesbians deserved a hotter place in hell. That Jesus had to hang on the cross a little bit longer for gays and lesbians. He's doing the same thing, folks. This is what guys like Sam Alberry and Yuan and <clears throat> some of these other guys, Jonathan Merritt, Matthew Vines, this is what they do. He's doing the same thing. Homosexuality is no different from any other sin. It's a strategy. It's not exegeting Scripture. Where's Scripture in this? Where does the Bible teach this? Where does the Bible say this? He isn't using Scripture. Says, homosexual behavior is a sin, not homosexual feelings. Now, this is... Frank Turek getting on the, on the same bandwagon and many of these evangelical power guys, celebrity guys are doing the same thing. They have to because their, their, their franchise, as I spoke about in a previous episode, depends on it. They're going to get canceled. Their, their, their ability to maintain their income is going to shrivel up and die unless they take a different approach to the question of homosexuality. Look around the world. The, the, the one issue that will get you canceled faster than any, almost as fast as racism, is saying something derogatory about homosexuality. It'll get you canceled right now. That's what these guys are doing. Same thing. I had thought that if I were to become a Christian, that I would have to become a heterosexual. And there you have it, folks. You do not have to abandon homosexuality to become a Christian. Because, as we'll talk about in a minute, the opposite of heterosexuality 
is homosexuality. The opposite of homosexuality is heterosexuality. If you want to become a Christian, you must repent of that which is unlike God, which violates God's law, which violates nature. Homosexuality is a violation of God's design. The desires, the thoughts, the feelings, whatever you want to call them, a violation of God's design. Yes, of course, you must repent of your homosexuality if you want to become a Christian. You cannot be a homosexual. And if you are not a homosexual, it means that you are a heterosexual. There are only two options according to Scripture. When you look at the Bible, those are the two classifications. There isn't a third. God never says, be heterosexual, for I am heterosexual. And you hear the biblically inept morons laugh in the background because they think that's funny. It's not funny. Of course, God says, be heterosexual, because I demand that you be heterosexual. What? what? <sighs> the logic here is off the charts foolish. There is a lot of things that God is not that we are commanded to be. A lot of things. Um, be faithful to your wife. God doesn't have a wife. God doesn't have a wife. Do not be a, a fornicator because I am not a fornicator. God is not a man. God does not have a physical body. So he cannot be a fornicator. So the, the thinking here is absolutely outrageous. God created Adam and Eve the way he created them. And that's what we call heterosexual. We are to be what God called us to be. And repentance means turning from homosexual longings homosexual thoughts, homosexual desires to God's design, not our own, to God's design. Yes, you can turn to singleness, provided that you have the gift. But these guys admittedly do not have the gift. They admittedly burn with lust. It's an admission on their part. They're just not going to act on it. Well, that's not what Paul said. Paul said, if you, have, if you have these longings, these desires, these lusts, it's better for you to marry. Let every man have his, have his wife, his own wife, in order to avoid sexual immorality. These guys are saying in order to avoid sexual immorality, just avoid sexual immorality. That's what they're saying. Doesn't matter if you have the gift of celibacy or not. Just, just don't act on your homosexual desires. But we all know that if you have sexual urges, if you don't go out and fulfill those sexual urges with another human being, you're going to fulfill them somewhere else. And when you do, you're going to engage in thoughts. And those thoughts for these individuals are going to be homosexual thoughts. And that is sin. It is homosexual sin. It is perverse sin. It is unnatural sin. Therefore, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That is not the goal. But the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. That is categorically, categorically false. The opposite 
of what it means to be holy. The opposite of holiness is not homosexuality. The opposite of holiness is to be unholy. The opposite of to be clean is to be unclean. The opposite of homosexuality is heterosexuality. The opposite of being attracted to someone of the same sex is being attracted to someone of the opposite sex. So not only is Yuan's handling of Scripture absolutely deplorable, in fact, in in this case, from these clips, I basically saw Scripture completely ignored, but his use of logic is absolutely atrocious. It is a specious, specious argument, a specious argument top to bottom. The whole, when you think about it, and you look at this, and you just look at the big picture, get a high-level view of this and look down on it and ask the question, what's this guy trying to do? What is he really trying to do? I asked the pastors at this local church a question when I found out that he was coming to this local church here in Charlotte. I asked them what in the world they hoped to accomplish by having this guy into the church to speak because as far as I could tell, the people in that church held to a biblical view of sexuality. They know that adultery is a sin. They know fornication is a sin. They know homosexuality is a perversion of nature and that it is a sin and that you you cannot have homosexuals in the churches. They are not believers. What do you hope to accomplish by doing this? I was told that many of the parents have kids who are struggling with this gender nonsense, and most of that is is got to be due to the fact that these parents uh, are not really taking a hands-on approach to uh, raising their, their children. They're letting their children, for the most part, raise themselves on on autopilot. Uh, I would be willing to bet that they, those kids spend most of their time watching TV with their phones in their hand on social media, playing video games, out of sight, out of mind, and the parents are not watching hardly anything that goes on. And as a result, the kids are infected with the thinking of the world, influenced by the thinking of the world, and now they're going through these idiotic phases that young people go through that are an expression of the culture. And most of them will turn out perfectly fine on the other side of this. I think the number is 70% of kids, if you don't do anything, they just work through it and uh, everything returns to normal uh, on on the other side of this. Now, the numbers may be higher as far as how many kids are doing this now because they're exposed to it. They're exposed to this stupidity, this kind of insanity, this thinking. It's around them everywhere. And because the parents are doing so very little to smash it, and their pastors are doing so very little to smash it. I mean, uh, you know, let's face it, this church, six years um, of watching sermons from this church, and I haven't seen the kind of convicted, passionate, pushback from this church that you see like someone from a, a John MacArthur even. Vody Bauckham, Paul Washer, 
many of of the of the solid reformed guys who are really truly pushing back hard against this foolishness. This church has not done that. And so that's one thing. The other thing is, well, maybe it is that this church wants to soften uh, your thinking on this stuff so that it can keep its membership up because it's got a massive budget and they have to do something to keep the income coming in. Otherwise, the thing could collapse. That's a possibility as well. That's a possibility as well. I'll tell you what is not a possibility that there's just this passionate conviction that we've been wrong uh, in how we think about homosexuality and that all we really want to do is just share the truth with people. That's not possible. That's not the case. It may be the case with some churches, not the case with this church, and I don't think it's the case with most churches. I think they're trying to find a way. Most of these churches that are doing this, I think they're trying to find a way to compromise without saying they're compromising. But just make no mistake about it. This church can now be called a gay-affirming church because in the modern Oxford Dictionary definition of homosexuality, what it means to be gay, sexual attraction to someone of the same sex, this church affirms the Christianity of people who do that. And that is undeniable. If you're in this church... My suggestion to you is just walk away. Find a church whose leaders are walking in the fear of God who are afraid to do things like this, who are not so arrogant that they feel like they have all this license to just go out and platform whoever they want and how dare you question their decisions. Yeah, get out. All right, that's it. I'm over an hour. I knew this was going to be a long two episodes. I'll get both episodes posted. I hope I've said something that will make you think. Uh, I hope I said something that, that helps with how you think about uh, this issue and, and how it's being uh, framed by these people. Um, if you have any comments, you can leave them if you're listening on the app. You can go over to The Dissenter on Facebook. You can go over to The Reformed Rant on Facebook. Uh, you can leave uh, comments on <clears throat> the website, Reformed Reasons. There's a number of places you can leave comments, reach out. Happy to engage. Uh, <clears throat> happy to engage at any time. So God bless. Take care. Keep standing for the truth. Don't back down. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network, Biblical Christianity's marketplace of ideas. BibleThumpingWingnut.com.